good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us on this latest edition. Uh, and I have my partner in crime, Ems. So, Joe. Uh, Joe Rose is joining us today. She's um, the senior people services manager at Linklaters. And Joe, I'm going to bring you in in just a second. But Ems and I often, um, just for context, we often try and think up a um, crime fighting duo, a crime fighting partnership that we could be. And how about this one for this week's uh, rendition? Michael Knight and Kit from Knight Rider. What do you think, Ems? Well, as soon as you said Michael Wright, I was like, who's that? And then he went, Knight. And Knight, Knight, well, Knight even, then Knight Rider. And I was like, ah, yeah, I get it. 80s, David all over that. What better crime fighter than David Hasselhoff and a completely fake car? Clearly <laughs> had no level of artificial intelligence whatsoever, just those flashing lights. I'm going to be the car. You can be the Hoff. You could, I'll, I'll take that all day long. So, with that, we'll bring Joe in. Joe, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Hi, Ems. Uh, really nice to meet you. I, I honestly can't top that. With I was wondering who was going to be the car and who's who's going to be the half, because <laughs> obviously he's um, he's got quite a reputation with his um, his body. Um, <laughs> well, pressure, Chris. <laughs> 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 Let's move on, actually. Move on because we're not here to talk about the Hoff or Kit or any other type of crime fighting duo. We are here, of course, to um, talk to you, Joe, today about uh, diversity and inclusion, actually. And we've had a previous conversation before we actually went live on today's podcast just to talk about it because we know that it's a, it's a passion of yours. So what Ems and I wanted to do was just get you on today and talk a little bit about the subject that we've chosen is bringing yourself to work, which I think is a really, really interesting one. But before we delve into that, can you just give us a little bit of background on yourself and the role that you do at Linklaters, please? Sure. So I've been at Linklaters quite a long while now, about 16 and a half years. I've done lots of roles, but currently I'm managing a team that do administration for HR, for L&D and also the payroll team. I've been a manager for quite a long time and I've always been interested in sort of diversion and inclusion but I must say uh, I think in the last sort of 18 months you know I think it's been incredible how much I've learned how much has changed and so I'm, I'm really excited actually to be able to talk to you about some of the things that I have been doing with the team and some of the things I've learned over the last sort of 18 months or so and just thinking about you know, being the best version of ourselves, but, you know, in that bringing ourselves to work, you know, people feeling like they are important and included for who they are, I think is absolutely key. Oh, and sort of if we start maybe with that broad question around what, you know, what does bringing yourself to work mean to you, maybe, Joe? you know, in, in the Linklater's context or just more broadly, and then we can tell, tap into some of the things that you've seen change and that type of thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think people think there is some sort of magic or there is some sort of secret around bringing yourself to work. For me, it's about creating a really, really inclusive team. So one where people feel 
confident and happy that they are appreciated and that they are recognized for their contribution and that everybody feels like that it's not just you know people from certain groups um, and I think there's been a lot of focus obviously on on certain groups with you know with the the murder of George Floyd with some of the other um I call it issues going on in in society so obviously we've just had the Paralympic you know we've just been sort of talking about how amazing it is that less able-bodied people have been amazing you know able to do these fantastic feats of uh, endurance and so on um, and I think really uh, you know for me these are almost extremes but you know everybody should feel special everybody should feel that that they are part of an organization and that for me is the way you do that I believe is by creating this open culture whereby people can talk about things um, people you know you start a conversation and in talking about diversity even sort of even in terms of groups that you might not even fit into you also help other people to feel included so it's a really, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? You might think that if you're starting a conversation about, for example, Black Lives Matter, that you would then be excluding people who, you know, were not in that category. But what's what I found and what's remarkable is actually it includes everybody. And what's absolutely amazing is how many people have a really strong feeling about all this stuff. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't visible before, certainly not to me. I think people feel nowadays much more able to be honest and open about the, the things they believe in. And these the, the younger generation aren't prepared to put up with, you know, things that they see that are not fair. I think they, they are much... Uh, much more able to call things out or, or much more aware of it. I mean, my children pull me up. You know, I, I'm not sure if you've got uh, any sort of cousins or, or younger family members. You know, people are less tolerant of a sort of lack of diversity. And I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. We all need to be aware of what we're doing because it's the micro things that I think affect people the most without... Without people meaning to be unkind or, or unpleasant, things can be said, things can be done. And if you can't call that out and um, correct the behaviour or, or state what is acceptable within your organisation, then people believe it is acceptable, which is not right. You know, somebody said to me, and I've been listening to um, a lot of different leaders and, and talks about this. And somebody said that the culture of an organisation is the worst form of behaviour that is tolerated. And that, to me, is actually quite a good description and also shows me as a leader where I should be going, which is open, having open conversations, a safe place where people can raise issues and stating really publicly what I believe in and what I believe the culture should be for our team. I'm just sort of reflecting on what you said there and I've written it down, you know, the culture of an organisation is the worst form of aggression that's tolerated. I, yeah, I think that's a brilliant way, actually, and, and really highlights the importance, particularly, I think, of all of us but you know managers people managers we always come back to that some shape or form in most of our podcasts <laughs> 
because they do play such a fundamental role in a lot of this, right? You know, their behaviours, you know, will impact others. And those microaggressions and, and micro exclusions, I remember you mentioned those when we sort of spoke before, Joe. I, I guess it just comes back to how can we help individuals feel like they've got a safe environment to say some of these things? Because there's that element, isn't there? You know, you, you can say team situation in my team example you could say yeah whatever you want to say goes but in someone else's team that manager might have a very different way or the culture in that little ecosystem might be quite different agree and what we've been learning about what I've been learning about since this conversation started and we started really engaging properly in this is that the microaggressions and micro exclusions are sort of small acts that people do often really unthinkingly you know it's stuff like assuming that somebody comes from a certain ethnic background or assuming that someone has a certain you know that their name uh, means that they have a, a certain maybe a certain ethnic background or I would also say you know it, there's a lot of inclusion that needs to be thought about in terms of neurodiverse inclusion so many people have some sort of disability that is not visible it's absolutely not visible I mean I myself I'm deaf in one ear you can't see it and it affects me not probably as much as another person with another type of disability but it's really important that when we are saying things we are making sure that we are purposefully including people and this is where these microaggressions and micro exclusions I think become quite hurtful one of the things I've learned is that people who have experienced a lack of diversity in their growing up in their upbringing they they call it sort of death by a thousand cuts that these micro exclusions and microaggressions reflect other behavior that's happened to them so for example uh, one of my team has had uh, shouted at them in the street or they were you know they had problems at school with people picking on them and I think that that creates a reaction which which might look a little bit over the top but it, it is proportionate in terms of what's what's happened to them in their lives and I think what we need to do as, as managers and leaders is recognise, number one, microaggressions and exclusions are not acceptable and let's try and call them out. Number two, that people are often doing this completely unthinkingly. It's, it's often not an unkind thing. It's just a lack of thought. So if you assume positive intent who assume that the person who said it hasn't really meant to really upset anyone but obviously has and and a third thing that was this was a really interesting one for me is that when we talked to the team about this stuff the team all said we want to know we want to know if we've upset you you know we want to know if, if anyone feels upset or excluded or that we've, we've said something because we don't want to do anything that would upset you and I, I do think that is quite an important point that often people are, feel quite fearful of raising issues because they think well I don't want to upset them you know and actually they want to know most people in a you know decent positive intent in terms of their co-workers and wanting to support them and not wanting to upset them so with all those things in mind actually it's really important that we raise these microaggressions and exclusions because back to back to the point about it creates a culture without you knowing about it if you just leave them and let them hang and let people think well that's 
that's okay then. Is that okay then? You know, that manager hasn't mentioned it or that that person hasn't acknowledged it and that's not right. And it's only when we change, the only way to change a, a, an organization's sort of culture is really to tackle behaviours on quite a low-level basis. Um, but we can do it. We absolutely can do it. And I think starting the conversation is absolutely the first step in that. Yeah, I think so. And what I find interesting in just what you were talking about there, and I wrote down a couple of thoughts there, the cultural side of it, I think is very important because you need to feel like you're working in an environment where culturally you can actually have those uncomfortable or you can have um, those uncomfortable situations and not feel like, oh my God, if I'm going to tread on eggshells everywhere, then I'd, I'd rather just, you know, not address some of these issues, some issues around diversity and, and supporting people. And I do think that, that there's there's, a, there's a question, probably a question there in around what businesses can be doing from a cultural perspective. I wrote down, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that's what I've just taken taken from what you've just said, Joe. It is kind of okay to be uncomfortable, assuming, as you said, that there's a recognition from within a culture of a business that we know you're not doing this because you know you're a horrible person who is a you know uh, ticks all of the wrong boxes because people intrinsically aren't that are they people want to it's un, in our nature to want to get along to want to to belong and so you want to i i feel perhaps this is just me but i feel like most people want to be inclusive, don't they? Most people want to have that feeling of belonging. Absolutely. I think that's right. So one of the, um, the, the responsibilities, if you like, for me as a leader is to create safe space to, and to also continue with the conversation even if it's uncomfortable. So that's absolutely right. So as you know, when George Floyd was murdered, there was a lot of conversation started yeah, a lot of companies were um, sort of moved by the, the sort of feelings within their own teams and organisations and started that conversation. I think my job is to not let that conversation drop because, you know, if you look back in time, maybe we would have been having something similar when Rodney King died. There are other instances that haven't resulted in lasting change and I think that's that's a shame. And I think that if we drop the conversation, if we just say, oh, well, we'll, we'll have this conversation, we'll create this safe space, but we don't carry on with it, we don't see it through, people think, oh, well, it doesn't matter anymore, or, oh, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. So it's actually an ongoing responsibility. It's not just a one-time thing. And I wonder, Joe, you know, what are some of the tangible examples maybe of things that either you've done yourself or you've seen more broadly linked later or you've heard that actually help build that feeling of inclusivity you know diversity and just that belonging I guess yeah so what I'm doing with the team uh, one of the things I'm doing with the team is to have a regular chat about this and I'll be honest with you it is quite uncomfortable because I think it, it's a, it's something we don't usually talk about or we haven't talked about so one of the ways that we're trying to make it easier to have that conversation you know you can't just ask people to rock up to a meeting and say you know how do you feel about the diversity in the team it, it not going to work so we're, we're trying to combine it with increasing our education 
So one of the responsibilities, I believe, of an ally in any kind of diversity or inclusive situation is to educate themselves about how people feel in the minority group, you know, how, how things have been difficult and what that looks like. And what we've done as a team is to, so I've asked the team to come up with any collateral, so a podcast, a book, a film, whatever that they've seen, and to bring it back to the group and just talk about it. Uh, and, and that gives us um, a really good catalyst for a good conversation about, well, you know, how did you feel about watching that? Um, you know, can you recommend it? What, what do you think the particular issues were that were raised? You know, and you've got then something to hang off that difficult conversation, which people might feel a bit awkward about coming to. And I think also just, you know, that safe space can then carry on. So we, we're going to have this regularly. We're going to have a regular catch up. But I think one of the things that is most important to me is the that the senior leadership walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And what I saw recently from one of our senior leaders was a really lovely example of genuine allyship. So this individual one of our senior leaders was interviewing a lady of mixed heritage. Uh, I won't give you her name, but she was talking about how in um, at one point in her career with, with our uh, organisation, there was quite a senior person who wouldn't communicate with her other than using post-it notes. Obviously, that was not very nice. And she did talk about a resolution to that, but she felt that it was to do with the colour of her skin. And at that point, the senior leader just turned and looked at the camera and it looked completely unscripted. And he said, I just want you to know that I asked her who that was, because if he was still with us, I'd have sacked him. And it was absolutely lovely. It was just this really genuine connection where where the sort of outrage that we were all feeling watching that 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 interview where she'd you know given this sort of very you know uh, unpleasant experience it it was lovely it felt like yeah you get it you absolutely get it and you you would and you are doing something about it and that's what we need to see from leaders we need to see them acting and being genuine not just talking the talk really believing in what they're saying can i actually ask a question joe so Amazon and i've done a few of these podcasts on a few different topics not on specifically on diversity and inclusion and one of the things that often pops into my head is this idea of momentum. We've talked about leaders stepping up. We did a podcast with guys from Cul with Melissa from Culture Amp and talking about leaders stepping up during the pandemic. From a DNI perspective, I wonder how how easy and you talked about you've just talked about all the different initiatives that you guys have got, you know, recommended podcasts and other reading and coming together. How easy do you think it will be to maintain this momentum? Do you think this is now a mindset shift that has happened? And this is this is how people will now see DNI initiatives. It will just continue to that momentum will continue to gather beyond pandemic or is there going to be more work to ensure that there isn't a bit of I don't know if the word fatigue is the right word but you know I guess what I'm trying to say is during pandemic we had lots of instances of people transferring to zoom and everyone's now fed up with zoom. yeah and also last year we had the George Floyd we had 
Black, Black Lives Matter. We had a lot of momentum and a lot of desire for that change. And a lot of companies said a lot of things. Now, whether or not a lot of these companies are actually going ahead and doing more is a question. And I guess that's probably a question I have for you, your, what your general thoughts are. But then also, how easy do you think it will be to maintain that kind of level of momentum that, yes, more needs to be done and it needs to be accelerated? And this is where senior leadership absolutely comes in. So unfortunately, I think it will vary from manager to manager. I think that's where we need really senior leadership to keep pushing this. I mean, from my my perspective, our diversity is our strength. You know, my, my clients are diverse. I'm not making the right business decisions if I don't have a diverse team. I'm not looking. I'm only looking from my own perspective and not from, from a sort of varied perspective. And I think that lesson is not possibly understood by absolutely every single manager within every single company. But I, I think there are drivers. So one of the drivers will be stats, statistics. So we need to be open and transparent. We need to publish data on diversity and inclusion, and then we need to act on it. So we need to publish um you know, our action plans and so on, which we do actually, um, and which has have been very successful. In terms of my recent recruitment, people have found stuff online um, about what we are doing in the diversity space that they found quite inspiring. So it's absolutely up there in terms of senior leadership, but I think also clients. So clients are pushing for this. Make no mistake. So if your organisation thinks that they can just sort of take their foot off the gas, it might be that they would be overtaken by another organisation who is not taking their foot off the gas. And this is, is, you know, it makes business sense to have a diverse workforce. They are happier. They are more engaged knowing that they are included and they are in a, a company that appreciates them and values them for who they are. I'm I will be interested if we can link that to the stats. Uh, I think that is possibly one of the the difficulties with with the sort of can you prove that a a culture is responsible for business success. But I think certainly you can prove that you're um, improving your diversity. And I think that's really important and that should be more important going forward. And it's it's interesting as we're talking about measuring success, I guess, Joe, and and having that kind of baseline and and thinking about the future. because you hear quite a lot about quotas. Yes. Um, now, I do think it's a good thing to consciously think about this, but there are instances where perhaps one might have quotas and therefore does it perhaps actually end up causing the converse of what it is trying to promote in the sense of you fill, you fill a quota because you have to and are you putting the right talent in the right places? Is it a token effort? Slightly controversial one, um, but I think there's a fine balance probably within that somewhere to get it right. Absolutely. So nobody wants to be the token female, the token black person, the token, you know, uh, disability person with disabilities. And everybody wants to feel like the right people are running things. I think what we're talking about here, though, for me, is diversity of shortlists. So it's no good having a, a shortlist with one black person on it or one woman or you know if it's absolutely no good we need to we need to stop um advertising in a way that only um encourages certain 
you know, certain groups to apply. We need to be a bit more clever in our recruitment strategies, in our retention strategies. And, and I think that is that goes some way to it. I do know that the, the, the quota issue is quite, it, it, it seems to be quite divisive. And I definitely think there is a, a need possibly in some industries to push harder to have more um, women or more, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're looking to improve, you, you need to be really quite aggressive in, in sort of moving that forward. But I think that's where the stats come in. Yeah. And I think as more and more businesses, more and more organisations really embrace their approach to DNI, they will start to naturally start to collect more information that they can then use for uh, these purposes to then be able to improve their own, the way in which their own business is perceived, uh, the way, in, the, the fact that they can also deliver more productivity within their business. Because as we've all talked, I mean, you've heard, we've had lots of stats about, you know, the, the more diverse businesses that you get, the more profitable they are. Yes. the more efficient that they are as they run. So that's quite interesting. Just um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast today. So I just wanted to get any final thoughts from both yourself, Joe, but then also from Ems as we wrap up. Is there any kind of bits of nuggets that you'd want to leave our listeners with just as we wrap up for today's podcast? I would say to people who say, oh, my goodness, you know, this is such a big topic. What can I do? You know, I'm a little lowly manager somewhere. You know, what can I do? You can do so much. You know, you can notice behaviour and language. You can create a safe space to call it out. You can educate yourself. You can recognise your own part in all of this. Um, and you can create a diverse workforce, you know, by, you know, leading by example, by, you know, giving people the feeling that they are included and, and respected and, um, you know, uh, appreciated by the organisation. So I would say absolutely every single person has a, a role to play in this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't really add anything to that, Joe. I absolutely agree. I think, you know, there is no excuse. You can start anywhere and sometimes starting with the smallest thing and looking out for the smallest behaviours is has the biggest impact, actually. Yeah. Great. Brilliant. Well, Joe, thank you very much on behalf of both Ems and myself for joining us today to talk about something which, as we said at the top of the show, is a great passion of yours. So really, really great to have you on. Thank you. to Definitely to Kit and Michael. You're an awesome team. <laughs> I did wonder if you'd bring that in right at the end from the very well-established 80s a TV show running champions that we are from myself and from Ems. Thank you very much for listening to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye bye.